one of the family. Welcome. This episode is a birthday celebration of a most wonderful institution, phenomenon, thing of beauty, guide dogs at 90. We'll hear from Terry, whose life has been transformed by Spencer. We've got some puppy tips for puppy people. Also, the fascinating history of the charity. And one of Guide Dog's most passionate supporters. There are no words to describe how brilliant Susie Dent is. Well, here I am in the countdown dressing room because I'm actually on countdown, which is fantastic. It goes out in weeks to come. What a great experience. And I'm, here's a countdown conundrum for you. Come up with a lovely, obscure and beautiful word to describe the whole guide dog phenomenon, the guide dogs, the relationship. She's thinking, she's thinking, the wheels are whirring. The relationship. Okay, okay we got This really woman's amazing, she's got one. No, not really. It's just a really old word for empathy, that sort of invisible, unspoken, intangible bond, and it's simply fellow feel. And I like to think that animals are our fellow creatures, and so fellow feel is to, it's both a noun and a verb, to feel that empathy, which is entirely unbreakable and uh, to have that bond with someone. Boom boom bibbidi boom boom. I feel passionate about it Nikki because uh well two things we have one very loyal very regular countdown audience member called Craig who brings his guide dog, Bruce, along. Um, Sadly, we don't have audiences at the moment, but when we did, Craig and Bruce will be there all the time. And I felt like I sort of started my guide dog adventure, really, there, because I did all the wrong things. You and I have talked about this before. I gave him treats, Mm. I cuddled him. Petted him. Yes, all of that, when actually I now know that you should just um, let them get on and work. But um, I just felt we struck up a bond. I'm a huge dog lover. There was something about Bruce and there was something about the way that he just is so in tune with Bruce, his owner. I mean, it's extraordinary. Uh, And uh, that was the first thing. And then the second thing, I have a neighbour as well who also has a guide dog, Jean, who is fantastic, who I see all the time. And I know better now just to let her get on. But just watching them, I am in awe. I know the months of training. I know the huge amount of money it takes for guide dogs to train these animals up. And I know how much care they take when the dogs actually prove that this isn't the life for them. And they are entirely understanding of that. And they, they don't force them to carry on at all. Um, plus, the whole organisation is wonderful. I went to their um, award ceremony quite recently to honour the people who've made a huge difference in the world of guide dogs and spreading the word. And the individual stories there were extraordinary. And again, so many dogs came with their owners, I like to put it that way around, or not even owners, with their companions. And the love between them actually was... was Yeah, it was such that actually I kept concentrating on the animals and I didn't concentrate enough on what I was supposed to be doing, which was hosting. But that's me. I am an outsider. I don't have sort of direct family experience of it, but I continue to be so struck by the, it's impossible to describe the impact that these animals have on um, on the lives of people who, you know, until they arrived, actually found things incredibly challenging very often. You're going to love this. Listen to how a beautiful black Labrador called Spencer has totally transformed Terry Quinn's life. 2018 it was, um, when my sight started to, to fail quite a lot. Um, with my diabetes and I was registered partially sighted 
and then in um, April of 2019, um, registered blind. It just, I, I got really depressed with it all and didn't want to admit it. I didn't like, I didn't like this person that I'd become where, where this man couldn't even find a table or a chair in a cafe. He couldn't, he couldn't find the curves. He kept falling, things like that. But then when he came along, it, it's kind of like, it doesn't actually matter that I can't see anymore it, because I've got no worries with him. When, when I'm walking, I, I can hold my head up because he just effortlessly glides me around and I walk around obliviously, been able to listen to everything, whereas before everything was blocked out, but now I, I listen to everything, I smell the fresh air and kind of, I'm with my best buddy and we, we have conversations as we're walking all the time. But he just, he's, I call him my 2020 hero because um, obviously 2020 was hard for everybody um, and it was hard for me, but he happened in 2020 and that, that was quite a significant turning point for me. So he's given me so much. He's, he's given me the, my freedom, my independence. I love that 2020. He's also your 2020 vision, right? He absolutely is. Yeah, he absolutely is. He's, he's my eyes. He's, he's kind of, and I trust him implicitly. I trust him with my life. If he if I ask him to go forward and he won't, um, I'll ask him again, just in case he's distracted. And then if, if he won't go the second time, I know that it's not safe for me to put my foot forward. I know that there's something in the way. So then I'll ask him to find a way around whatever it is, and he'll just and he'll just find an alternative route for me. And and we're off. It's fantastic, Nikki. It's just unreal. He anticipates where we're going sometimes. Um, but if I want to go somewhere else, I'll just say to him, not today, Spencer, straight on. And, and he'll, he'll go on, on a different route. He'll, he'll even find my bus stop in a line of four different bus stops. And so I'll ask him to find the bus stop and he'll take me to my bus stop. And then when we get off, I'll ask him to, to take me to Costa or take me to Nero or take me to the NatWest Bank. And he takes me straight there. And he'll put his two front paws on the step so that I know that there's a step there. Wait, 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 wait. You say to him, take me to the NatWest Bank. Yeah, because, <laughs> yes. because as part of our training, um, guide dogs come out every day for six weeks almost, and they learn our routes. So, so all the things that I, I want to do, um, we repeatedly do those walks with him, with my trainer. Um, so, so we learn those routes and then at key points like the bank, NatWest, we'll keep saying the word NatWest and then when he gets to the door, he'll get rewarded with his favourite treat, which is a horrible smelly sprat. Um, so, so once he's done that three or four times, he doesn't need that sprat anymore and he gets really excited because it's like a task for him. So you say, find NatWest, find NatWest. And his tail starts and he gets a wiggle on and and he'll touch the door so that I know the door's there. I'll put my, my hand along his head and, and then I feel the door. 
and then it, it just gets lots of fuss for getting it right and we're in same with same with Costa and Nero they'll take me to the counter and then you'll find me um, an empty chair to sit at at a table I just ask him to find the chair so so it's totally I, I can do anything and whereas before when I first lost my sight I just felt that life wasn't wasn't worth it really wasn't worth living because I just thought I wouldn't be able to do anything. But, but I've learned with him that that I, I can do I can do 99% of what I used to be able to do just by doing it differently. I'm I'm loving life. I'm absolutely having the best life ever. And it, it's down to Spencer, it really is, and to guide dogs. I, I cannot, I cannot tell you. He's changed everything. I used to he? see people out with a guide dog. I used to look at them and I used to think, oh, that's nice, that's sweet. And people used to call them life changers. But I used to think, yeah, they must be very good, but it's a little bit of a stretch, really, calling them a life changer. But now that I've experienced it firsthand, they are. Look at him. He clearly absolutely trusts you and adores you. He's right, right beside you. Um, he's lying there in serenity and contentment. And he's got his toy that he was playing with just a few moments ago. And uh, it's, he's fallen asleep with it almost. And you're doing that thing that I love to do. You're just stroking him. And I can, I can feel your calm. I wish I was there so I could stroke him. I wish I could just tickle his ears and put my, put my hand over his head. It's the most reassuring, wonderful feeling, isn't it? And you're, you're playing with his ears. I love doing that. Labrador's ears, just just gently tickling them and pulling them a little bit. They love that. And and sort of, sort of he he always does this. And when when I'm anywhere like in a cafe or anywhere else, and he's just laid down under the table, he'll always make sure that either he's got one paw over one of my feet, or he'll have his head resting on my feet so that he knows as soon as I make a movement. And if he's asleep and my foot moves or anything like that, he's alert and he's up and, and just, right, what now, what now? Um, he's constantly in contact with me so that he just knows that I'm okay. And that's so reassuring for me um, because I know that he's there and I know that he's okay. And if he gets startled by anything, I give him a cuddle and tell him that it, it's all right. And if he comes across something new that he hasn't come across before, I'll just stand still and let him watch it so, so that he knows that it's not going to do him any harm. And then the next time he sees it or hears it, it it's not going to be an issue. And he does the same for me. If, if he knows that I don't know, I've hurt my ankles, I'm walking a little bit differently, or if I'm feeling down, he seems to know it and kind of he'll alter the way that he walks. So he'll walk slower or, or he'll walk quicker or he'll walk and give me that little bit of extra room. Um, it's just, we, we work so much in sync. It's, it's fabulous. 
It really is. I, I, I could not be happier, to be honest with you. I, I could not wish for a different life. Is it annoying when people pet him when you're walking? It's so frustrating because sometimes people do it um, at the most inappropriate times. So, so if I'm crossing the road, it's so important that he's looking out for me because what he will do is if I ask him to go across the road because I think it's safe to do so, if there's a car coming that's quite close, he'll refuse it, um, to, to go because he knows that it's dangerous. But some people will actually, whilst he's at the curb edge, they'll put the hand out and they'll go and click their fingers. So it distracts him immediately from what he's... He just got distracted. He just looked up and is this when you did that. Yeah. He, yeah. And, and that, that's what happens. And, and if I'm walking across the road, they'll put their hands out to, to stroke him. Um, and if, if I'm in the shops and he's taking me around or in a cafe and he's weaving me around tables and chairs to get to the door to get out, and people do it there and I end up walking into tables or walking into people um, because they've distracted him with all the kissy kissy noises and things like that and it just obviously he you know at the end of the day he is a dog and he and he loves the attention and if somebody does that then it is going to distract him Spence what are you doing I love it when they do that when they put their when they come around he puts his head on your legs or on your chest and just relaxes that's a lovely thing with Labrador it's gorgeous isn't it it just gives you this sense of well-being I bet he smells lovely oh gosh yeah I mean my other dogs smell doggy but he doesn't it's kind of like I just want to nuzzle into him all the time because it's such a sweet lovely smell it's beautiful absolutely beautiful the smell of a Labrador's ears if they could bottle it I'd buy it <laughs> do you know what I would do I can't describe it to you but I, but I absolutely would. The level of trust is just, as you say, it's quite extraordinary that these animals can essentially hold their companion's life in in their hands. I mean, they have to navigate them across, you know, busy streets in their paws. In their paws. Yes, thank you. Oh my goodness, in their paws. Mm. Uh, uh, just, I mean, just even going down the road. We have um, uh, near where I live. We have very narrow pavements. Every day, every week, I will put the bins out, and I'm acutely conscious that Jean, the lovely guide dog, has to navigate round all of these. I mean, they're literally lining the pavements, and somehow. She just manages to do it effortlessly. She's incredible. And it's the incredible training. No one knows more about puppies than Guide Dog's Chief Scientific Officer, Dr Helen Whiteside. And here's the first of her excellent tips for anyone with a bit of puppy love. So for us, it's really important when we're training our dogs that we make sure that they have a really good place to go and rest. It's nice and quiet, that they're able to have that kind of downtime to kind of chill out, have a nice sleep. And as you say, we, we, we do train them. So we do teach them lots of things that they need to do, which is quite mentally stimulating. So equally, while we are making sure that we're giving them all the kind of skills that they will need when they're in a partnership with a guide dog owner, but we're equally giving them that downtime. We're giving them that time to chill out, to relax, to sleep. 
Um, and not only will that help with the training, um, it's really, really great for their well-being and really, really essential for their well-being, I would say. So how did we get here? Here is a glorious potted history of guide dogs. Ian Stafford, Director of Canine Affairs, will lead us through it. Guide dogs to help partially sighted or blind people go way back. They really do go back. Thoughts of historical details from uh, the, in Europe in the medieval ages. Um, there's images of dogs guiding blind people. Even in places like China, there's some ancient Chinese scripts that that mention dogs being uh, dogs leading blind people, often around blind beggars and so on, but very often being led by by a little dog on a lead. So informally, dogs have been around people for a long time, and people. People use dogs for a variety of different reasons, but it wasn't really until the end of the Second World War when it became uh, formally a part of training the dog to, to help people with sight loss. Why did it take so long if there were these obvious attributes and abilities? Needs must. Um, so I think I think up up to right. up till the First World War, it was individual people with individual dogs doing it for themselves. But with the First World War, with the numbers of war-blinded veterans that were coming back from dreadful situations in the, in the First World really? War, uh, the mustard gas and, the, and the, the literally tens of thousands of people were blinded by that conflict. Dolce et decorum est by Wilfred Owen. Bent double like old beggars under sacks, not need coughing like hags, we cursed through sludge, till on the haunting flares we turned our backs, and towards our distant rest began to trudge. Men marched asleep, many had lost their boots but limped on, bloodshot. All went lame, all blind, drunk with fatigue, deaf even to the hoots of gas shells dropping softly behind. Gas! Gas! Quick, boys! An ecstasy of fumbling, fitting the clumsy helmets just in time. But someone still was yelling out and stumbling and floundering like a man in fire or lime. Dim through the misty panes and thick green light, as under a green sea, I saw him drowning. In all my dreams before my helpless sight, he plunges at me, guttering, choking, drowning. If in some smothering dreams you too could pace behind the wagon that we flung him in and watch the white eyes writhing in his face, his hanging face, like a devil sick of sin. If you could hear at every jolt the blood come gargling from the froth-corrupted lungs, obscene as cancer, bitter as the cud of vile incurable sores on innocent tongues. My friend, you would not tell with such high zest to children ardent for some desperate glory the old lie dulce et decorum est pro patria mori beautifully read there by my old friend the actor mark morahan one of the family in germany in particular they started to become 
aware because they were already training dogs for search and rescue and and that concept of dogs being formally trained to deliver um to, to deliver roles um that was that that was really starting to to take shape um and so the question was asked well could a dog guide some of our war-blinded veterans and in germany in the uh, 19 early 1920s dogs were trained in their hundreds um, so organizations uh, started to spring up. They were literally training hundreds of dogs per year, really trying to help the veteran community at that stage. And so that's when it really started to take shape and re really start to operate at some scale. Tell me about the history of guide dogs in this country. It started in, in 1931. We had two, two women um, over here who loved German Shepherd dogs. Um, that, that was their interest. And they became aware of what was happening over in, in Europe. German Shepherds were the breed of choice and they loved that breed. They thought, well, is that something that we could do over here in the, in the UK? By that time, dogs were starting to appear in America as well. So they were aware of, of the very first guide dogs over in America. And they, uh, they decided to take an experiment over here from a lockup garage in, in Wallasey in, in Cheshire started to train some dogs with a borrowed trainer from uh, an organization over in uh, in Switzerland. They sent a, a, one of their first trainers across to the UK who took on a group of dogs, started training them over here. And those dogs ended up being our very first dogs on the streets of the UK. 1931. First four dogs, uh, we had Flash, Folly, Meta and Judy. Flash Folly, Meta and Judy. They were partnered with four men, ex-service men. It was very much a trial, you know, people really didn't believe this could be done. And at this stage, the working guide dogs in this country predates any social care that people with sight loss was receiving. So they weren't, there wasn't any, any such thing as formal orientation mobility training for blind people at this stage. Even the concept of a blind person being able to travel independently really wasn't part of public life. So these, these four men were very much pioneers. We moved to a training centre in 1941 up in Leamington Spa. Of course, at this stage, still donated dogs. We're getting dogs from donated from members of the public, dog shelters and, and rescue organizations. And of course, in those days, it was the the healthcare for the dogs were was significantly different to what it is today. So we were losing dogs with things like parvovirus and 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 distemper. It really was a difficult period of time as we were trying to get the organization off the ground and starting to partner dogs with a wider range of people, not just the veteran community. In 1956, we started to take on puppies and placing them with volunteers um, to give the puppies the best chance of turning into guide dogs down the track, purchasing puppies uh, in, in order to have better success rates with our with, with our dogs and and of course that model has served us so well 
Through the 60s and through the 70s and through the 80s and beyond, you've just got bigger and bigger and bigger. 1960s marked, marked um, the, the next milestone for us, and that was actually breeding our own dogs. So, so when we started puppy raising, there was there were still purchased puppies from from external breeders but in 1960s we really started to look at the genetics of of the dogs um, the idea being if we breed the right dogs and then raise them in the right way we'll be able to train them in the right way and deliver them into partnership so much better so we started our breeding program in the 1960s and that's grown that's based in the in in the midlands um all, all of our breeding mums and dads all all live at home in volunteer families it's another massive volunteer workforce for us those breeding mums and dads produce the next generation of future guide dogs and we pay tribute of course to flash folly meta and judy so here we are getting stuck into the 21st century and that breeding centre is all important, the one that Ian was referring to. I've got another puppy tip now for you from the Guide Dogs Chief Scientific Officer, Dr Helen Whiteside. So what, what does create that unique bond and love that all dog owners understand so well? When we stroke a dog, oxytocin is released in our bloodstream, which is the bonding hormone that actually you get from sort of when you have a child. Equally, that is released in the dog as well. So that, that in itself, is, it, it just shows how, how much they, they're enjoying being around us. Their subjective experience is not that dissimilar to ours when we're together. It's always important, though, to remember that, again, <laughs> dogs are individuals. And some dogs are very, they want contact. They're very kind of, you call them cuddly dogs, I suppose, are the ones that like to be cuddled. Equally, there are dogs that don't want that physical contact, but they like being around you. And I think it's always really important to look at what your dog is showing you. So so if you are a hugger and a cuddler and someone who likes to cuddle and hug dogs, just always make sure that that dog is comfortable with that and let the dog come to you, watch their body language, are, are they relaxed, are they enjoying it? Um, so that's the only thing I would always say to people is just make sure that the dog is as involved in it as you are if you're having an interaction. Dr Helen Whiteside. Right, here's another word from Susie. I think also the thing that's that really upset me actually, and again, you may have heard of this yourself, is the abuse that actually guide dogs themselves, the animals get uh, quite often. So not just being, you know, the owners are told that they can't go into a shop with a dog, etc. We've all heard stories of that, but actually physical abuse uh, by people who just think that these are easy targets. And there's a lot that we need to do to recognise the huge support that they give. But equally, there are a lot of people that support guide dogs and, and they, I know, and I are so grateful for that. And this is a celebration. What an organisation for a celebration. They are. By far and away... Uh, the the sort of charity when, when it comes to doing an event or something which where I can earn a bit for charity I have to say they're always near the top of the list for me if not at the top because as I say I, I am beginning to learn and see what they do also I'm enrolling for their my guide training so what's that, then? What's that? so my guide training uh, doesn't involve the dog sadly but it does involve fantastic things whereby you become a companion to somebody who is blind or um, or partially sighted, yeah. and we uh, go along and we learn how to navigate the world with them, to describe oh. the world around them, and to be able to take them to places that actually they might not have been able to go to themselves. It's a fantastic service because of COVID, I couldn't do it uh, last year. I couldn't do it this year, but next spring, all go, all being well, I'm going to become a my guide. Fantastic! I want to hear more from Terry. 
Terry Quinn talking about that gorgeous boy, Spencer. How old is he now? He's three and a half now, so he's still quite a youngster. How long will he be working for? They, they, say, they say that usually around about eight years, but they say that they will tell you when they don't want to work because he'll stop being interested. Now, as soon as he sees me get his harness off the hook, he gets so excited because he knows we're going out, we're going to go to work. Um, and when he hasn't got his harness on when he's playing, he's like a lunatic, he's like any other dog. And he's running around the fields with, with my two wolfhounds and he's, he's sniffing, he's peeing everywhere. He, he's like a lunatic. But as soon as the harness goes on, he knows he's working, it's like a light switch. Um, so they say around about eight years, um, but that's very dependent on, on him. So hopefully we've got, we've got plenty of time left. But you'll keep him, won't you? Oh, absolutely. You, you get, it depends, you get a choice. Um, but but if, if you're gonna get another guide dog, they, they look at whether the other guide dog and this one will get on together, and also whether Spencer would be too jealous and that the other dog was taking his place kind of thing, and whether he'd be unhappy, because obviously he's with me 24-7. He's never on his own. He's, he's with me all the time. So then to, for him to be on his own may be too much for him when he knows that I'm out with another dog. Um, so whatever's best for him, really, but my intention is to absolutely keep him because I've been broken-hearted without him. What a terrible thing if he did get jealous and you had to say goodbye. Oh, the good thing is that, that you often get the choice of maybe a family member having them um, or a close relative. They'll do checks and everything. And if it's a suitable home, then your family can help them um, so that you can still see them and everything. Um, so that would be my next option because my um, my son is a real sort of dog lover as well, and that would be my first thing. But I would want to keep him myself, really. Love those guys, Terry and Spencer. Thanks to Susie Dent for being my guide, to the wonderful Mark Morahan. Thank you to Helen and Tim and all the guide dogs of the world, especially Flash and Folly and Meta and Judy, and to you for listening to One of the Family. <laughs>